He Hears You, Episode 1, Rare Cuts. Have you ever eaten meat? I have. And I'm not talking about the forgettable cuts or that mass-produced and glorified bologna you can find in almost any grocery store, cooler, or butcher's freezer. I'm talking about meat. Real, honest-to-God meat. People say it's not important and they'll say it while eating a substitute like chicken or fish as if it's all the same, but we know it's not. We know there's a difference between flank steak and some poor man's hamburger purchased from a kid who's little more than a walking spot of acne. You can feel it in the way the meat falls apart in your mouth and the fat slips between your lips. It's right there, it always is, that mouth-watering high that can only be captured by meat. You've got to know that feeling, right? I don't think there's anything better than sitting in the backyard in the middle of summer while the smoke of dead things rises up around us. It's almost like we're gods who are still lucky enough to live in a time of sacrifice. That's what it is, isn't it? That's why I feel the way I feel. It doesn't even have to be cooked anymore, and if we're being honest, I think you know that as much as I do. It can be cut from the flank or the ribs or even those delicious soft threads that make up the inside of the cheek. I'm not picky. It just has to be meat. It keeps saying that word, don't I? I don't mean to, it's just the kind of thing that once you start thinking about it, is always there. You'll wake up in the middle of the night hearing that slow drip of blood from a fresh cut and you'll think how hungry you are and how hungry you've always been. Sometimes that drip will run so steady that you think you've left the faucet on, but it's never that. It'll be the drip of saliva from your mouth, the puddle of sweat that grows at your feet, or that beautiful red rain that falls from the butcher's hook. Some people think it's not for good reason. They think meat is just another bit of food to be stuffed into a cavernous hole of gluttony and self-hatred over and over again until the meat and the meat it fuels eventually rots away. They're wrong, though. They, they don't get it. And I remember when I first ate meat. My parents weren't much for that kind of thing. They didn't like meat, you see. They didn't like the blood. They said they saw all the living things in the world and they couldn't quite wrap their heads around the fact that their meals were made of the dead. I'd imagine I used to feel like that, too. What child isn't a reflection of their parents, at least for a little while? So we ate a lot of salads and we ate a lot of beans, but somewhere around the age of 12, we started running low on money and everything in the fridge changed. Greens turned to reds and school lunches became a motley collection of potted meats and spam that would have turned my stomach if I'd taken the time to read the ingredients, but that was a long time ago. Now, it might not be good meat, but it's still meat. It's, it's so strange to look back on those childhood years and marvel at the way everything made sense until one day it didn't. 
changed happened when I picked a flower to bring home to my mother. It was a ray of sunshine on a cloudy day and a sunflower as large as a child's face. It was everything and I stole it away from its home just for her because I knew it would make her smile. And it would've, I know it would've, but by the time I reached her and we found a special base just for our flower, it had begun to wilt and brown and die. I still remember what it looked like when the first petals fell and how sad the dying thing looked when it began to slump under the weight of the world it wasn't meant for. She said it was alright and that all good things go away, but I couldn't look away from the dying thing. I couldn't blink or move, and I sat at her kitchen table staring until it began to rot. I was 13 when I bit the ring finger off a schoolyard bully. It wasn't my fault, really. Everything in the world around me was clear as day, like a painting of a world that hadn't gone wrong, and then one day it wasn't. He wasn't a bad kid, he was ordinary in that middle school kind of way, but Every day that came before that one, I'd walk home with bruises painting watercolors across my back. I think I had a Lunchable that day, but I'm not sure. It probably would have been turkey because that's what my mother started packing for me. I liked the way the crackers crunched like hollow things between my teeth. It brought me peace. And then, I guess that clear day changed. It was as if all the thunder that had ever been or would ever be rolled up my spine and waged wars inside my head. He hit me, I think, right at the base of my skull when I was leaving recess and my lips split open on the concrete walk when I fell. There was blood running rivers after that and I still remember the sound it made, falling like a most beautiful rain. It fell with the thunder and the child didn't seem to know how to react when I tackled him. It didn't seem fair when my blood started pooling across his face and running into his mouth when he screamed. It belonged to me. I'd earned it with all the time I'd spent on this earth and he'd made every minute of it a trial. So I did the only thing that made sense. I slammed his head into the ground until his blood mixed with mine and then I took one of his hands and bit down hard on a finger. I bit until I couldn't anymore until my top and bottom teeth met, and all that had once been between them wasn't anymore. You'd think it would have been a little harder to do. I know I did, but the bones snapped like brittle branches in the throes of autumnal death, and the meat wasn't anything I wasn't already used to. It was just like my first pork chop. It was a hamburger. It was a steak cooked rare. It was muscle and blood, fat and tendons, and then I swallowed, and it was nothing at all. It got stuck a couple times on its way down, lodged in a throat, used to softer things, but that pressure eventually went away and I was allowed to breathe again. I wonder what happened to that boy. I wonder what he eats for dinner, and if my realization changed his world too. I never got to go back to that school. My mother told them it wasn't my fault, that I was bullied until I couldn't be bullied anymore, and we sat together before the school board as a family. But my father once taught me never to lie, and so when they asked what had come over me and if I'd ever do it again, I said I didn't know. I said it depended on how hungry I was. 
that's all it was, I think. Hunger. And there's nothing for hunger like fresh meat. My mother and father went away after that. Not immediately, they weren't monsters, but once they got me set up on my own, they walked down a road filled with smoke and fog and didn't come back. I don't know where they wandered off to. I never thought to ask, and I'd only just figured out that they were gone by the time I realized I should have gone with them. That's what family does, right? They live together, love together, and they eat together. But maybe that's just life for other people. It was probably because I was different, and when you're different, you're special. She always used to say I was special, and then, after that bloody day, she didn't say much of anything at all. The funny thing is, as fast as it all turned against me, and as quickly as the storm died, all I could think about was the black hole of hunger that never went away, and how something as small as a child's finger had managed to fill it. You can't just walk away from a tooth like that. If you take a sip of soda when all you've had in life is water, whether orange or root beer or whatever else you find to be your favorite, you can't close that door. You can't walk away from it. Meat is just like that. It takes you to wherever it had been while it was alive and oh, what a vacation that winds up being. Do you know what's just as funny? People say our flesh smells like cooked pork when it's over the flame. They say it lingers in the air like a fine picnic ham, but that only means they're liars crippled by a failing imagination. It doesn't smell like pig, nor does it belong in a barnyard or a pen. No, it smells like a child so full of life and dreams that it is truly intoxicating. It smells like your neighbor down the street who has worked the same job all his life, packed with fine tissue and muscle that has been marinating in sadness and self-loathing for all these years. It smells like our friends and loved ones, those we've eaten and those we have not. It doesn't have to smell like anything else. It needs no comparison or false idol. It's already everything we need. The second time I had good meat, it tasted like my best friend and his trip to the Dominican Republic. I was supposed to have gone with him, a getaway to make life feel a little more kind, but that part hadn't quite worked out. Still, we got together once he came home and I cooked him a steak medium rare with all the proper garnishes. He told me about his adventures and the people he'd met and the things he'd seen. I wish I could remember more of it, but to be perfectly honest, I wasn't much interested in that kind of thing. I only wanted to tag along because there was something about him that got me to go places I didn't know I wanted to visit. It was a perfectly fine and ordinary night, yes, and I really don't know why it ended the way it did, but sometimes life has no answers for us. Sometimes things just happen. He was almost out the back door when I lodged my best meat tenderizer deep in the back of his head. I don't think I'll ever forget the sound it made and how that hollow thud sounded so much like I was chopping wood. I didn't get a good look at him when it happened, though he had to have been surprised, and when I rolled him over, I drove that bit of steel into his face until my arm grew tired, stopping only when he wasn't staring at me anymore. 
The tenderizer was slippery by the time I was done, but I smiled because he no longer looked so shocked and really, he didn't look like anything at all. It might have added to all the cleaning I'd have to do later, but I didn't mind much. There's something calming about a wet rag making old things new again. I think there always has been. I talked to him when I started cutting. Something about it made it easier. He'd always been up for a good meal, and I think he would have appreciated how much care I took in carving the meat of his legs off the bone. Sure, he might have complained about the sound, that inevitable grating scrape that came with the final inch of each cut, but I like to think that that was just a beginner's error. Given enough time, I'd figure out how to slice good meat without leaving notches in the shimmering white of bone. I wondered if it was odd that I didn't find myself missing my friend so much as I was frustrated that he wasn't quite as large as I thought he'd be. I should have been able to turn such a simple thing into a fine collection of fillets and flank steaks, but that didn't wind up being the case. Instead, there were just a few of each that weren't terribly fatty, and I was barely able to cut the cheek meat from his face that was so broken apart that it was almost no longer there. But it was meat. It was still meat. And even though there wasn't as much as I'd hoped, there was more than enough to fill a space that could never quite be filled. I won't ever forget the sizzle of his ribs on the stovetop or the way the fat popped from the heat. It sounded like music, like an angel singing while the bass drum kicked from somewhere so far away. And it made me feel a little bit better about how the evening had gone. The only thing I felt bad about was what I'd done to his face. He'd had a good one, those sharp cheekbones and a model's nose, but there was nothing I could have done differently. He'd always had inquisitive eyes, and it's hard to enjoy a meal when you have someone looking at you as if they're asking why things had to be this way. I told him that it was because I was hungry, but I don't think the answer satisfied him. What was left of his face just stared at me from its spot on the kitchen counter, and for the entirety of my meal, and in the silence of my home, I stared back. The third time, well, the third time didn't go so well, and I'd rather say very little about it. I was still getting used to the way knives cut, and the one thing they never tell you is how hard it is to separate fresh meat from old bone. It always looks so easy in the charming online instructional videos and on Food Network, but it's nothing like that at all. The meat and cartilage stick so well to bone that it is so slippery in your hands and defies every expectation that it should all just fall apart, like a puppet without its strings or the body of a child when it has begun to decompose. I learned a lot that third time. And I think the world will always be a better place if we learn from what we've done wrong. But that doesn't mean it doesn't anger me. Doesn't mean I don't think about the time I went home hungry and learned never to waste meals that weren't easy to prepare. There are other times, too, of course, but they all tend to blend together. Once you realize that no one is anything other than a dinner waiting to happen or a steak waiting to be cut, Everyone looks the same. I saw it in a cartoon once. I think it was at about... 
I think it was about a cat trying to catch a bird, or maybe it was a dog trying to catch a cat. I'm not too sure. All I know is that when the creature saw the thing he wanted most, he didn't see it for what it was. All he saw was a ribeye dangling in the air, as if it was on a string and toyed with by a god he couldn't comprehend. For better or worse, that's how I started to see the world around me. And I don't think that makes me a terrible person. I, I really don't. I just want. And everyone that rushes past me in a subway or a bookstore represents the everything that I could have. That doesn't make me a bad man. It doesn't make me a monster. Meat is meat. And when you strip the skin from the muscle and rip enough tendons from the bone, you see that it doesn't really matter. It all bleeds red. Marbling lines of fat are always white. And whether I cut into the belly of a man, woman, child, dog, or cow, careful to avoid the intestine so as not to pollute perfection, it's all the same. If you hold it up to the light and giggle at the treasures you found so buried away, you'll see what I've seen. You'll know what I know. You'll pick up a fork and an empty plate over candlelight, knowing full well that you have no idea what you've eaten, and yet you wouldn't change a thing. It doesn't matter. It never does. Once you swallow a mouthful, what was once there isn't any longer, and it's like it never was. I never killed my friend because he was never there. I didn't eat that family and make sure to fill cereal boxes with their leftover bones because I hate to litter. I didn't take that boy from the campground just because I could. And I didn't save the lips from that girl somewhere off Park Avenue just because it was nice to have something to chew on that wasn't filled with processed sugar. None of that happened because once you've eaten something, that something is gone. They are no more, and it's hard to feel bad about something that could never happen, because that something was never there. It helps. I do not feel for the dying things, because I am one of them. And when I'm gone, and they are too, none of this will have happened. I'll be the easy man, full and content, who never was, and it will be a blessing and I will be at peace. I'll never again have to walk down a crowded sidewalk and think to myself how terrible it is, how awful that all this fine food is doomed to go to waste. That day might come, maybe it has to, but not yet, not yet. You, you see, I followed someone home tonight they live in an unremarkable house at the end of a forgettable street. They don't have a dog, even though there's one of those little doors in the back that you can slip through if you're not afraid to dislocate a shoulder, and fortunately, I don't think I'm afraid of anything. I don't know how many are living here. That never really matters all that much because I'll only ever be eating until I'm full, and the rest will be left to rot. I don't think of that as being wasteful, because it's what we all do anyway. Given enough time, it's the road we find ourselves stumbling down whether we want to or not. And also, there's something so frustrating about a household that doesn't have the right spices in their kitchen cabinets. That's worth noting. 
it's, it's wrong to go through life without adding a bit of flavor to your meals. And you should always be prepared for the sake of your guests. From somewhere deep inside the home, there came a child's laugh, and I've never liked that sound. But it didn't matter. It doesn't matter if I see them first or if they see me. It doesn't matter if they taste as good as they look or if they say that I'm a wicked man. I never listened to the chickens or the cows, and I didn't hear the sunflower cry when it slowly wasted away. The only thing that matters is that I've found them, and in them, I've found the truth that everyone has tried to hide from me for my entire life. Ever since I was first called back to that house by a dinner bell, and until I first tasted blood that wasn't mine. I sat down at their dinner table to wait for that bell to ring. I could hear someone singing a lullaby, and I didn't know the words. I didn't move. I didn't blink. There was a vase of flowers set out before me, and saliva puddled on the table beneath my chin. It ran slowly over the edge, falling to the ground like a quiet rain to the tick of the clock on the wall. I think my eyes began to roll back into my head, and I tried to breathe. Meat is meat. <laughs>